Amen. Amen. <clears throat> My prayer is that your soul is well. And if you're connected to Jesus Christ, your soul is well. Amen. And uh, God wants you to know that, uh, thank you, dear, uh, that he is there for you. And he is in the process. The beautiful thing about God is God starts to work in us. And he continues to work in us. And he finishes the work in us. That's why I tell you, we're free. Amen? It's just up to us to respond to him as he works to us to whether how long it's going to take for us to get in line with his will. Amen? Uh, he, and he's a loving God. He, he wants the very best for all of us. As our precious children head out today, I, I want you to turn with me in your Bible and continue our study. We're going to go back to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 6, uh, 17. So if you have your Bible, turn there. Amen. Exodus 17, we're going to look at uh, uh, verse 8 and following. You ought to be able to memorize these verses by now, as many times we went through them. I got one more message in this uh, series, and I'll be done with this, and we'll be moving on to something from there. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning, but when he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Verse 15, Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, Because my hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Now, as we started our series, and I've had this banner up here for a reason, because the Lord in this passage is called Jehovah Nisi, which means this, the Lord is our banner. The Lord is my banner, meaning this, the Lord is our victory. Amen? The Lord is our victory. Hear me, the good news about the Christianity, about the gospel is this, is it always starts with victory. It starts with what Christ has done for you, what God has done for you. It's not what you're going to do for God and how you're going to clean your act up and how you're going to do right and how you're going to do all these wonderful things for God. It's not about that at all. It's always there's a foundation and the continued work of sanctification in our life is the work of God. The victory that he has won on the cross, he gives that to each one of us who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That's why we praise him in this place. That's why we pray to him. That's why we exalt him. That's why we worship him. That's why he is everything to us. And that's why as your pastor, all I have to proclaim is one name. His name is Jesus because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no other way to the Father except through him. I lift up the mighty name of Jesus because it's in his name by which man can be saved and will be saved is only in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen? Now, that was weak, church. Amen. <clears throat> the question is, do you believe that? Now, today, I, I just want to ask this question that I'm going to ask Miss Nancy. She can head up, start heading up this way. 
Here's the question for us this morning. Every one of us would confess that we believe in prayer. Amen? Yet how many of us truly believe in the power of prayer? I want to encourage you with that today. And I've asked Ms. Nancy to come and share her testimony, what God has been doing in her life. And, uh, I probably don't need that. I could probably do it. Oh, no, you need that. There you go. <laughs> Give her a hand, by the way. Good morning, everybody. Um, as I was coming up through life, I never liked the color pink. And as I'm still growing up, I never liked the color pink. But now I wear a pink ribbon. A silent killer with no face, a thief within the night, a constant battle for my life, a bitter evil fight. The scars remind me of the day it knocked at my soul's door. It tried to rob me of my strength. It left me on the floor. To survive, I had to sacrifice sacrificed my breast and even my hair. It showed no pity as it snatched these things without a care. I started to give up my fight. I felt I could take no more. Then God reached down and gently picked me up off the floor. He wiped my face and blew my nose, just like my mama used to do. He said, don't cry, my child, for I have things in store for you. I did not bring you all this way to leave you high and dry. I love you and you are my child, so hold your head up high. There is nothing that I cannot fix, no pain I can't erase. Have faith and know that I am here. There is nothing you can't face. So I threw my hands up high and gave God all his praise, for my soul has been uplifted and, I, and my spirit has been raised. I'll fight this fight with cancer, and I know I will be fine. For God said it, and I know it's true, that victory is mine. Um, what a journey. I never thought that I would battle cancer. Nobody in my family had ever been diagnosed with cancer. So, why me? On um, September the 5th, 2012, um, I was at a, me and Ricky were at a Georgia football game, first one of the season. And I know I was going to be getting a call from my doctor, um, but I never knew what he was going to tell me. So I went to a quiet, what I thought was a quiet place at the stadium, and I called him back. And he said, Nancy, your path report has come back, and you're positive for breast cancer. Well, I went weak in the knees. I looked around, and I thought, who's going to pick me up? But I made my way back to the um, seat, and I know the look on my face. Ricky looked up at me and said, we're in a lightning delay. And I said, to myself, I know, I've just been struck. And he looked at me and he said, are you ready to go? And I said, yes, I'm ready to go. So as we were walking back to the um, car, 
inside of me, I felt like Forrest Gump. I wanted to just take off running and run and run and run and till I just couldn't run no more and felt like that I could just run away from this, that if, if I ran from it, it wouldn't be true. But um, as we were coming down the road and he was trying to gather up my kids um, to get them together because I felt that's the, f the first pers people that I should um, talk to when I got home. He was gathering them up and I was thinking about how I was going to tell my big kids um, the same kids that when they were little kids, I put them to bed on Christmas Eve of 2001 with a father. And they woke up Christmas morning and I had to tell them their father was gone to a massive heart attack. So I was trying to put together my words of how I was going to tell them that their mother was now diagnosed with cancer. But we got through it. We've hung tight. We've been strong. Um, the scars are with me today. Um, I've been through two surgeries. Um, been through chemo. And these things did um, rob things from me. But the days before that leading up to this, I can tell you I was the, I was, had more anger, I was mad, I was, um, I cried, I'd text my pastor and I'd say, is this okay? Um, but there was always a, a sense of peace that would come over me and somebody would wipe the tears from my eyes. And my mom, um, before she left us, she always um, instilled in me to never let anybody or anything take your smile away from you. And so I'd always remind myself of this, and I'd put the smile back on my face, and I'd say, God's in control. He's going to carry me through this. Um, I tried to keep my sense of humor about it, because, you know, you do go through a lot. Um, I did have to sacrifice a breast, half a breast anyway. Um, I know I know I'm not the only woman standing up here saying that, um, that when men at the end of the day, when you get home, you want to kick your shoes off. Well, I'm me, and I know other women out here, we want to unstrap. <laughs> so my saying was, when I would get home, I'd say, gosh, I'm ready to unstrap these horses. But today I can't say that, so I say... <laughs> So today, I'm proud to say I unstrap a horse and a pony. <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> Forgive me, Pastor. <laughs> it took my hair away. But that's okay. That's okay. Those are things that they don't, they mean a lot, but your life is, is so much more the meaning of life. Um, but I know those times that I was there, God was wiping my tears away, and he was letting me know that he loved me, and he wasn't going to leave me. That's right. Um, and he had brought me all this way, um, and um, he was going to get me through it. Um, 
On February the 1st, after my second surgery, um, my same doctor of this year called me back and he said, Nancy, I've got the results of your PATH report. And I froze. But this time he said, all your margins are negative and it's time to move on. I was sitting in my truck, had just pulled in the driveway, and I threw up my hands and I said, hallelujah, praise God. So I stand here today, and on the back of this shirt, um, it says, Nancy Strong. She is clothed in strength and dignity and lasts without fear of the future, Proverbs 31, 25. I, am, I, I was strong going through this journey, and I, my journey is not over yet. But, and I still stay strong because I'm clothed in strength and dignity from God's strength, not my strength. God's strength in me and my army of prayer warriors, and that's you, my church family. I was so blessed um, with, with my army of prayer warriors, and I thank you very much for um, your love and support. And I laugh without fear of the future because I always remember what my mama told me to never let anybody or anything take my smile away from me. So, there is victory in Jesus. This victory is mine, but it's mine because of what God has done for me in my life. And my soul is uplifted and my spirits have been raised um, uh, by his love and his strength. So, that's what I have to share with you today. Just know God loves you, and I love you too. God is an awesome God, amen? As we learn in, in our church, as we've learned and grown in our church, uh, and I believe this is a, sort of a, a chord that runs through all churches, if we're honest, is that life has with it pain. But the good news is you're not alone. When you're part of the body of Christ and when you have Jesus Christ, he will take you through whatever you've got to go through and carry you through all the way till you come home. And you can know that and rest assured that he has the very best for us. What a powerful testimony of God's amazing grace and how God has worked in Nancy's heart and her life. And I believe this will strengthen her and her children to let them know how faithful God is. He is good and he is faithful uh, even when we go through the bad news of our life. Uh, today, as we look in our text today, as, uh, uh, as you see in our text, there's a fight going on. Uh, whether you realize it or not, uh, not uh, uh, church, is that uh, you're in a war. You're in a spiritual warfare that, that you, you may not even have a clue about, but the reality is you're in it. Uh, when you confess Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, the enemy decided that he was going to continue to come after you. 
uh, early on, he had you deceived and he had a hold of you and he was using you in every way possible that could dishonor the Lord. But God, being rich in his mercy, reached out and touched you and brought you out of that darkness to his marvelous light where you can spin around and lift your hands up, amen? Where you can just shout hallelujah, praise the Lamb of God because he's won the victory for you. But even as we have victory in Jesus Christ, God wants you to know that the enemy is not letting up. He is relentless. He continues to come after us. Until we get home to be with our Lord and our Savior, there will always be fights down here. There will always be war down here because the enemy is going to make sure that he does that. So don't be uh, deceived and, and don't be discouraged that that happens to you or that you're going through something in your life. One of the greatest things I want to encourage you with is this, is the power that we have to become men and women of prayer. That's where we win our victories, church. That's where we win. In our text, we saw that the battle is raging down here, but yet Moses and Aaron and Hur are up there with the staff of God, the power of God, and calling on the name of God. And as they're calling on the name of God, what's happening down here in our earthly realm is victory. But every time we get tired of praying, we get tired of praising God, we get tired in our human flesh, uh, we need each other to help hold us up, to keep us going, amen? Because this is the fight that sometimes you just get tired, you just want to quit, and you want to say, hey, I, I'm, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, you know? And, I, I just, and God brings somebody in your life, and he comes alongside you with an errand and a hurry and lifts you up and, and puts a rock up underneath you to help you to, to carry on the good fight of faith in Jesus Christ. God wants you to know that the enemy's going to do everything he can to keep you off your knees. The victory, church, I have found is on our knees, recognizing as we're looking up, God, we humble ourselves before you. We lift up our hands, our hearts, our lives to you and surrender to you. And now, Lord, we're trusting in you. Now, if you're, if you're like me, your pastor, many times I've had to learn this in my walk with God. It's not something when I come to know Jesus Christ that I thought, hey, I got it. This is what I practice. This is, this is it. But I have found in my own life, I had to learn this. I had to learn that I was in a war. I was in a battle. I was in a fight. And it was a good fight because it was a fight of faith. But the enemy did everything he could to keep me off of my knees. And I never understood why it was so hard for me to pray. Why it was so hard for you to pray. Why is it so hard for the churches today to have a prayer meeting? Because we have an enemy, and his, enemy, his, his whole goal and focus is to get you away from prayer. Matter of fact, here's the deception I have found with the enemy. The devil persuades us to neglect prayer. He, he, he persuades us to neglect prayer. He deceives us to believe that we can do more by our intercourse with men than our intercession with God. That was the great deception for me because I thought, well, you know, I just need to uh, fix things. So I, I had a problem and I thought, well, you know, God, I, I, I'm here and I, I've got some wisdom and knowledge and understanding so I, I can fix this. H how about you? When life comes to you, as I wrote on my blog this past week, uh, as life comes to you, where do you turn? What do you turn to? 
Because life is going to happen to all of us, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever here today. Life happens, and you're going to have trials, and you're going to have tribulations. You're going to have pain and suffering. That's part of life. All of us have that. Life is like railroad tracks, okay? Is that you have on one track, there's just time of, of difficulties and heartaches and discouragement and disappointment and death and all that. But on the other track, you have joy and, and peace and, and love and grace and mercy and His supply and His protection, all those things. That's how life runs. And, and yet in the midst of life, God wants us to see how powerful the tool that he's given to us called prayer. Now as you see in our text in, in Exodus 17, it's a beautiful picture of what I believe the church is to be. First of all, in our text, I want you to see that there is a persistent enemy called the Amalekites in this text. The Amalekites are a picture of none other than the enemy of God himself and how he uses his own cohorts to carry out his agenda here on this earth. Now understand that here the Israelites are. They have been had this great deliverance from Egypt and they're going to the promised land, headed that way, and they've never fought for anything. They've been nothing but a nation of slaves. I mean, they've been beaten down like you wouldn't believe. And, and yet God delivers them with his great salvation and had Pharaoh and his army come after them and he closes the Red Sea and now they're on their journey. And as they're on their journey, there's some enemies out there called the Amalekites. And the Amalekites of your life is trying to sever you from God. It's trying to chop your spiritual life off of you. It's doing everything it can to keep you a defeated, discouraged, doubting foe of God. And see, we need to understand that because God has already won the victory, but we're in a battle. The enemy is relentless until God finishes the work with him in all of his cohorts I'll tell you, we're going to be in a fight till then. Now, I want you to know that we've won the victory if we'll listen to the text here today. As we have those battles, the Amalekites come out of nowhere. All of a sudden, here they come, and they're going to attack. Now, these people are ruthless people. I mean, they do guerrilla warfare. I mean, they could care less about the Israelites. All they thought about was they wanted to conquer them so they could have all their stuff and have everything they want. They, listen, they killed for sport. And you see, your enemy comes, the Bible tells us, to come to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. And that's what the enemy was doing. And it's a picture. And at the end of this text, this persistent enemy, God says, he will always be at enemy always be in a fight from generation to generation with the Amalekites. And you study the text and you find who are the enemies of, of Israel over and over again. Here it comes, the Amalekites. God tells King Saul, King Saul, I put you in this position, now I want you to obliterate all the Amalekites. And you know what he did? Most of it. And guess what? They're still in a fight today. It's amazing. And so God has a reason why he tells us to do something. But we have a persistent enemy in your life and, and that's been bothering you and it continues to fight against you in your life. It may not be the Amalekites as it is in this story. It may be a different kind of enemy and we're going to see that in just a moment. That enemy may be drugs in your life. That enemy may be pornography in your life. That enemy may be bitterness in your life. That enemy may be loneliness in your life. 
That, that enemy may be cancer in your life. It may be depression in your life. It may be a sense of hopelessness in your life. Your enemy may be homosexuality in your life. Your enemy may be divorce. Your enemy may be bankruptcy. Your, your enemy may be injustice. Your enemy may be as a sense of despair. You've lost someone in your life. And listen, yours is in total despair. And this seems, this despairing spirit just seems to grab a hold of you and never let go. I want to encourage you today that God knows your enemy. He knows what you're fighting with. He knows what's going on in your life. And listen, he is not ashamed. But what we find in this text is this incredible thing. It's called prevailing prayer of faith. You see, Moses got tired. Yeah, anybody ever been tired? Everybody, anybody ever been tired? <laughs> I think some of you are tired this morning. Amen. <laughs> but listen, we, we've all grown tired in our life, okay? And we need others to come alongside of us and to lift us up when we feel like we just can't go on. You see, God knows the shame of your life. He knows the guilt that you're feeling. He knows the difficulties and the heartaches that you're facing. He knows all the tactics the enemy is using against you. And he wants you to know that if you will turn to him, by faith in Him and prevail in your prayer life and get somebody else to come alongside you and pray with you, you will, watch this, you will overcome and you will have victory in your life. Because what you find in this text is this, that the Israelites had a powerful deliverance in their life. How did they get their victory? Moses, Aaron, and Hur interceding with the power of faith, God, we're just a nation of slaves. These are fighters. These grew up fighting. These grew up killing. These people are, are ruthless. God, what are we against our enemy? But God, but God, who is your warrior, who is the champion of all champions, he goes to fight for you. And the Bible says, as they interceded, as they lifted up holy hands to the Lord in prayer of faith to God, God gave them the victory down here in their life. Church, I want to encourage you, if there's anything that I have learned in over 29 years of walking with God, the most powerful thing in my life is prayer. It is prayer because prayer is what changes things. Prayer is what changes people. Prayer is what changed me. Prayer is why I'm here today. I remember my mom after coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ at age 28. She sang hallelujah, praise the Lord. God has answered my prayer. God has saved my son who was lost as a goose. He is lost and he is killing himself. God is only you can save him. And God reached down in a pit of my sin and picked me up and said, I love you, I want to change you, and what says, I want to use you. That's our God. That's our God. So I asked you today, and I was thinking about, you know, what does God want Freedom Bible Church to be? What does God want you individually to be? And you see, what I found is this. He wants you and I to be men and women 
of believing faith as prayer warriors. That's what he's after. He's wanting you and I to be men and women of prayer. You know why we have assembled here? You know what this place is really for? You know what this place is really for? I'll show you. Look at this. In, in uh, Mark chapter 11, listen to this. This is Jesus. He is in Bethany, about two miles away from Jerusalem, and Passover is at hand. So he's going to Jerusalem to worship. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise to the temple courts. Now, let me just give you a background of what's going on here. Now, as they went to worship, they had uh, merchandise there, in other words, doves and things of that like, things like that, to be able to sacrifice to their God. They wouldn't bring all that stuff with them. They would just get it before they got into the temple and, and then offer it to the priests, and, and that would be atonement for their sin and they'd be able to worship God, okay? So that's what they were doing. God set that up for them to be able to do that, and yet, you know what happens? They began to take advantage of people. They began to misuse what God intended for something good, and they began to, man got in and says, how can I make a buck? And that's not a good thing with God, okay? Because God's interested in his holiness. And Jesus comes and he notices this happening, and Jesus has a righteous, indignant moment. Amen? And he turns over the tables. The money's flying everywhere. They're thinking, what's going on here? This man's gone crazy. But watch this. This is what he says. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called what? A house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. You know what this place is for? To be a house of prayer. Now, I'm getting ready to do a series, and I've given you these bracelets. Anybody, everybody got a bracelet today? Everybody got a green bracelet today? Got one? Okay. If you don't have one, lift your hand. We'll get you one. Okay. Don't want you to leave here without one. Dan, you don't have one? We'll get you one. Nancy? Got two down here. Okay. And I think there's one upstairs. Anyway, on this bracelet, it says four letters. How many of you remember WWJD? Remember that? What does it mean? What would Jesus do? Well, I like that bracelet in a sense. But I don't always know what Jesus will do in every situation. And neither do you. Okay? Now, we think we might know, but we really don't. So it dawned on me as I was studying the Beatitudes and the Gospels, I realized, you know what we need to know? Not necessarily what would Jesus do, but what's this? What did Jesus say? What did Jesus say? See, that's what we need to know. And according to the Word of God, it tells us, what did Jesus say about the house of God? It should be what? A house of prayer. A house of prayer. That, that excites me because I realize as I walk with God, the more I realize that that's not happening. Unfortunately. Now, it's interesting that he did not say, my house shall be called a house of singing. 
though they're singing in the house of God. He didn't say, <clears throat> much to my chagrin, it should not be a house of preaching and teaching either. What? You can't pray without teaching and preaching. Come on. But he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And note it says for all nations. Now, that word means this, all people groups. That means I don't care what walk of life you're from, you deserve to be here. God's called you here, and he wants you to lift up your heart to him, and he will answer you, and he will pray. He will show you great and mighty things. That's what he's here for. This is what this building is for. This is what this house is for. It is to be a house of prayer. You and I have needs. You and I have problems. You and I have pain. You and I have difficulties. You and I have praises to offer. And this is the place we are to lift up our hands to God. And it's God, God, we love you and we love you so much. We're going to pray about everything and worry about nothing. Well, that was weak. You really don't believe that, do you? <laughs> Most of us have a PhD in worry and we hadn't got out of elementary school with prayer. Amen? I mean, and yet, watch this. God keeps bringing us to these trials. He keeps bringing us to these situations in life. And you know why he keeps sovereignly bringing these in your life? Because he's wanting you to talk to him. He's wanting to build an intimate love relationship with you. And listen, he knows he's got to keep squeezing us until we finally say, ow, it hurts. Oh, God, help me. Now I got him. He said, oh, God, we're good. We'll start right there. God loves us. <laughs> How is your prayer life? I wrote a few things down, and I'm going to hush in just a second. But my greatest influence, influence will be gauged by my prayers, not anything else, is what God has shown me. I have a vision of a life and a church of prayer. I want to be a praying life, and I want our church to be known as a praying church. A vision where bountiful power is experienced through asking and faith. Church, hear me this morning. You have no greater ministry. Elders, listen to this. You have no leadership, more in, no, no more influential than intercession. There is no higher role. There's no higher honor. There is no higher authority than this. You have been saved to reign through prayer. You have been spirit-filled to qualify you to reign by prayer. You reign as you prevail in prayer. You know, as I study Scripture, there's two times that I find that God goes, wow. That God was astonished. Can you imagine that? God. God was astonished, was in awe, was like, wow, this is unbelievable to me. Really not unbelievable, but you know what I mean. One time was when God saw this centurion. He said, Jesus, 
you don't have to come to my house. I know what it's like to be an authority. You just say the word, and I'll believe you, and I know that my child will be healed. And the Bible says, Jesus said, wow, I have never seen such great faith in all my life. Let me show you another time that God showed his astonishment. He saw that there was no man and was astonished that there was no one to intercede. Wow. God is like, I can't believe this. Is there not anyone willing to intercede for our nation? Is there not anyone willing to intercede for our families? Is there not anyone willing to intercede for my church? Is there not anyone who will intercede for our brother or sister who is in bondage instead of complaining, instead of uh, gossiping? We are going to pray about it. Oh, church, I believe with all my heart if we're going to be different if we're going to be a people that God is going to use in great and mighty ways in 2016 and beyond, it will be because we get this message. That we understand if we'll become prevailing men and women of prayer, that God will show His powerful deliverance in our lives, all through our lives and through our situation. We're going to have pain in the future. I'm not here to tell you doom and gloom, but I'm here to tell you you'll have pain in your future because we're all sin sinners and the world is broken in which we live. But God, being rich in His mercy because of His great love, is going to be there for us and He's going to carry us through whatever we have to go through. You can trust Him because He's a good, good father and he has nothing but the very best for us he gave his son how will he not also give us every good thing freely I wonder about our nation I know there's excitement in the air and elections are coming and we think we can just get this guy that guy that woman or whatever in office, we're going to be okay. And I wonder if God's saying this about our nation. Look at this. There's no one who calls on your name, who arouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the power of our iniquities. Church, I believe with all my heart we can hold back evil and darkness because we have the authority as the children of light. And you know how we do that? We become men and women of prayer. And we just don't say a little five-second prayer, but we become men and women that prevail and say, God, I'm going to be like Jacob. I'm not letting go until you bless me, God. I'm not letting go until you bless our nation again, God. I'm not going to let go until you bless my wife, God. I'm not going to let go until you bless my children, God. I'm not going to let go until you bless our church, God. I'm not going to let go. 
Is that your attitude this morning? I don't know what you're facing. I don't know your battle. But God's called the church at Freedom to be a house of prayer. And as long as God gives me breath, and as long as you allow me to be your pastor, I will never deviate from this. At the first prayer meeting, it come with me and my wife. I said, God, we're going to pray. Even times that they're uh, just, we started out, it was just a few of us to pray. I said, God, we're going to have a prayer meeting because I know that if anything's going to get accomplished in this church, it's going to be because of we crying out to you and showing you our helplessness and our powerlessness. And God, we're desperate for you. If you don't come through, I have nothing else. Education ain't going to do it. Organization ain't going to do it. Technology ain't going to do it. God, it's got to be you. And I declared at that moment, there was time it was just three or four or five of us. Most of that was my family, and I didn't want to be there. But God said, son, you persevere. You prevail, and I will show you myself. Here we are today. And God is continuing to bless. God's continuing to grow. Now, I want to close with this. The Bible tells us that Jesus said this. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Can we say amen to that? That's what Jesus said. You can take it to the bank. Now, I want to apply that to us. Do you know where the house of God is today? The Bible tells us that we individually are the temple of God. So here's my question for us this morning. How's his house being used in your life? What are you doing with your mind? What are you doing with your emotions? What are you doing with your choices? What are you doing with your body? Is it holy unto God? Has it been set apart? Say, God, as long it's a shorter drop at the next place we're going to, by the way. It's only 20 inches. David, it's not the, the, the fall, it's that sudden stop that gets you, you know what I mean? It's, it's just amazing how it just gets more sudden. But watch this. God asked me, he says, I'm not so, it breaks my heart that the house of God and the people are not coming to prayer at the prayer meeting. But as a pastor, I'm more concerned individually how all of us individually are using this body that God's given to us. Are we using it as a house of prayer? Are we crying out for our employees and employers? Are we crying out for our friends and our family? Are we crying out for our children? You know, as a parent, you can complain to your, you know, about your kids over and over again. Can we not? Can we just complain about? It? I mean, you know, they're not thankful. They're not this. They're not that. They just did da 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 da. You know, we've got a whole list of them. I look at some of you smiling. I just, you know, but anyway, I'm gonna leave it alone. But watch this. I wonder how we could change that. How's your lecturing and instructing done? 
How well has it worked? I told you not to do that anymore. How many times have I got to tell you that? And God says, how many times have I tell you that? Right? I wonder if we really took seriously and said, you know, God, my children act just like me. God, I repent of my own sin. And I come before you now, and I cry out that, Lord, that you're going to give them victory over that as you've given me victory over my stuff right now. Amen? I just want, I want to challenge you to do that. You have that spouse that you just rather complain about than pray about. You know, God's called us to be a praying people. And listen, if you and I are going to become a praying person, a praying church, it will cost you something. Maybe that's why we don't do it. We think, you know, I, I ain't willing to pay that price. Well, I'm telling you, the kickbacks, mm, they're tough. So I want to encourage you and challenge you to make prayer not just a place in your life, but the priority of your life. And if you will, I'll promise you this. You know what? When my wife started praying for me, she got a new husband. And guess what? And she didn't have to get a divorce. She did. And watch this. When I started praying for my wife, I got a new wife. It was amazing. God transformed her. All my complaining and all my instructing, it just, phew. but God, humble myself. God, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's not my wife, it's not my children, not my brother, not my sister, not my aunt, my uncle, and my dog. It's you, oh Lord, I, I, I need prayer. I want to close with this clip today. It's from the movie called War Room. If you haven't seen it, it's out on DVD now. We're going to have a movie night. We're going to show it together as a church because I want us to catch the passion and I believe the power of what God can do. In this movie, there was, a, there was a couple that really were like this. But a woman come alongside of another woman and told her, you're fighting the wrong enemy. And you're fighting the wrong way. If you'll become a woman of prayer, God will change things. And he did in supernatural ways. And God was victorious. And I, I can't help but tell you, your pastor saw that movie at least ten times. You know why? Because it encouraged me. And Miss Claire, bless her heart, I could just squeeze her. She just blesses me. And she ends this movie with this prayer. And this is my prayer for us here today. Here it is. You've done it again, Lord. You've done it again.
You are good and you are mighty and you are merciful. And you keep taking care of me when I don't deserve it. Praise you, Jesus. You are Lord. Give me another one, Lord. Guide me to who you want me to help. Raise up more that will call upon your name. Raise up those that love you and seek you and trust you. Raise them up, Lord, raise them up. Lord, we need a generation of believers who are not ashamed of the gospel. We need an army of believers, Lord, that hate to be lukewarm and will stand on your word above all else. Raise them up, Lord, raise them up. I pray for unity among those that love you. I pray that you open their eyes so that they can see your truth, Lord. I pray for your hand of protection and guidance. Raise up a generation, Lord, that will take light into this world, that will not compromise when under pressure, that will not cower, Lord, when others fall away. Raise them up, Lord, that they will proclaim that there is salvation in the name of Jesus Christ. Raise up warriors, Lord, who will fight on their knees, who will worship you with their whole hearts, Lord. Lord, call us to battle, that we may proclaim you King of kings and Lord of lords. I pray these things with all my heart. Raise them up, Lord, raise them up. Hallelujah, amen. Let's stay on your feet, church. The altar is open. I'm going to ask you to come and worship the Lord and just allow the Spirit of God to move in a great and mighty way. Oh, Father, in Jesus' name. I don't know the battles that's going on here, Lord, but I'm praying today, right now, that you're going to raise up prayer warriors today. You're going to raise up men and women that's never prayed before. They're going to step out and say, I don't even understand all this, but I'm going to take a step of faith, and I'm going to cry out to you in Jesus' name, and I expect you to deliver, and I expect you to show your power, because that's who you are. Oh, God, raise us up to be a praying church. Raise us up, Lord, to be prayer warriors. Raise us up, Lord, to be champions of faith. Oh, God, demonstrate your power here this morning. Show your glory as only you can. Have your way, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen. The altar is open. You come as God leads you as they sing this song to lead you to the altar. <laughs>